half an hour ago in a country down under. Hi, welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we're going to be looking at sequels. That's right, The Empire Strikes Back, Temple of Doom, and a whole bunch of others. Now, before we get ready, shoutouts to Elsie Cool, Tessie Cat, Mary Amber, Ashy Slashy, and Real Sharks, aka Riru Shaku. Okay, now, without further ado, let's begin. Alright, so sequels are a thing to me that can rarely beat the original. The original is often lightning in a bottle, and I'm here to cover sequels today. So, yeah, you have your sequels that are obviously better, like in the majority of viewers' opinions, like The Empire Strikes Back and Toy Story 2, but then you have failures of sequels, like, not just sequels even, I mean, also... There there are good prequels, there are bad prequels, like the Star Wars prequel trilogy in my eyes. But, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, honestly, I don't like Jar Jar Binks, like many fans do. I do feel sorry for the actor, though. Unfortunately, um, there were the uh, Ahmed Best, who plays Jar Jar Binks, had uh, suicidal thoughts at one point, and he had depression, which... I feel really bad for him, you know? Like, that's the thing with trolls. And before I go any further, this podcast is explicit, okay? So, yeah, the thing with trolls, I just can't stand them, you know? I said in the previous episode how I can't stand bullies, and I'm going to start on a serious note here. But the bullies just... They want power they don't have and that they're never going to have. They're never going to have it. And, yeah, you wouldn't say that to a person's face. So, if you're online and you're anonymous, why would you do it? I mean, come on. Just because you don't like a movie does not mean you can harass its stars. And that's very important. (sighs) I'm sorry, I just get so... I'm sorry to start it... So seriously, I just get so fucking angry at trolls, you know? (laughs) I'm so lucky my podcast hasn't got any. But yeah, we're going to move on now to uh, getting right into sequels, prequels, and, uh, well, possibly threequels. So yeah, one of my favourite sequels is The Empire Strikes Back. If you don't know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and it definitely heightens the stakes from A New Hope. I mean... I mean, it's crazy. You have uh, Darth Vader on screen more for this sequel. In the first one, he appears for a mere 12 minutes. And that includes everything he's in in the film, you know. But then you have a deeper subplot with Darth Vader in the second one, where there's the famous revelation and everything like that, you know. Good sequels build on stories. They, like... Most good sequels come from films that don't leave you on cliffhangers, or if they do, it's so subtle that you feel like you've got a complete film. Say, for example, Spider-Man. You know, you feel like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1 is a complete film, but honestly, though, Spider-Man 2, like, continues plot threads from the first Spider-Man movie. (sighs) But, you know, you, you get what I mean, like... Um, MJ and uh, Peter, for example, that was a thing in the first one. It seemed 
it had its own little arc in the first one, but, you know, the story's never finished. The story's never truly finished, you know? But, yeah, the the fact that sequels can broaden the horizons, expand on what we already know. I reckon that Terminator 2 also does this really well, because you know the basic premise of the first one by now, and you know how Sarah Connor is just a bit of a coward in the first movie, but then it's, I know it's blasphemy to Terminator fans to say that, but, well, she is a bit of a coward in the first one, not to say she doesn't have her moments though, but yeah, she, I know it's character development, but one big thing in the sequel that I absolutely love is how It leaves you to assume what's happened in between films. It's been seven years between films, and you've finally got Linda Hamilton as this badass, muscled woman who's in a mental institution, and you can tell a lot's happened to her, which would make an interesting story on its own. But in a sequel, you expect change. You don't expect a rehash. And I know some of the people have problems like that with The Force Awakens, and to an extent, The Last Jedi, although some people complain Last Jedi is too different. And popular opinion alert, I reckon that The Last Jedi actually isn't so bad. (laughs) Oh, you guys. But that's what I meant when I mentioned trolling earlier, you know? The fact that The Last Jedi has divided the Star Wars fandom so much. The fact that The Rise of Skywalker is not going to be affected. And they're not going to remake Episode Eight just for your whiny wills. (laughs) I mean, it's a joke. Some so-called fans go way too far. And I have a grudge against that. But yeah, if you don't like what a sequel does, sure, constructive criticism maybe. But yeah, moving on. So, sequels, you got to take chances. If you like the first one, you're playing it way too safe. Just way too safe, and that's a bad thing. The studios these days play it way too safe. They put things like they they make sequels to trusted franchises, and they don't put too much effort into them a lot of the time. Unless your name is, for example, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is superior to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Although, I wish they'd stuck with the damn reboots already. You know, Planet of the Apes at Disney, like, this is after the recent trilogy, um, then Disney bought Fox. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man's been rebooted three freaking times. If we get another reboot, I swear, I'm going to go berserk. If they cut out Tom Holland's deal, if they cut him out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then I'm going to just go fucking berserk. To not let a story play out. If you commit to a story, then just let the story run out. Let the story run, you know? And don't force directors to include things in sequels they don't need to. Don't force them to include Venom in Spider-Man 3. Yep, that's the threequel I was going to mention. <laughs> but yeah, Spider-Man 3, while it's not as good as the first two, I blame that squarely on studio interference. Studio in- interference can break a sequel. They're just in it for the money. You know, Toy Story 2 was originally going to be direct to DVD and direct to VHS at the time, in fact. But it got saved. It got saved at the last minute. It didn't become a musical. It didn't go direct to DVD, but it did get a theatrical release. And 
because Toy Story 1 was so popular, well, that being the first computer animated film and all, Toy Story 2 again brought the audiences in and proved, yes, sequels can be done right, which even to this day has rarely been proved with the exception of a few franchises. I mean, you know, some franchises have sequels that aren't as good as the first one, but then they have a future installment that's that's better. You know, Doctor No is pretty good. This is watching the Bond films so far. I've seen three of Sean Connery's Doctor No's good. From Russia with Love, yeah, agree to disagree with the fans of that film, but you know, it's just not as good as Doctor No. It has its highlights, sure, but yeah. But better than Doctor No is Goldfinger. Now that is how you make a sequel. <laughs> it was even tighter than Doctor No was. <laughs> yeah, but another example of how not to make a sequel is Quantum of Solace to Casino Royale. While the earlier James Bond films were more standalone, you know, you have Daniel Craig's films connecting. And sequels are way better when they connect, unless you're going for an anthology franchise like Halloween originally intent. Here's an example of an anthology franchise. Halloween originally intended to have a different villain every film, which is why you got Halloween 3 Season of the Witch with no Michael Myers whatsoever. So yeah, John Carpenter's original intention was that, but when fans complained that there was no Michael Myers, bam, he's back, you know? That's another one that's had about three reboots, but you know, there's, uh, sorry, three iterations, I may say. The 70s one and uh, the franchise leading off that. The Rub Zombie reboot, one and two. And finally, Blumhouse's 2018 reboot. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wonder, maybe on Halloween, would anyone dare me to dress up in full Michael Myers gear and <laughs> walk around the neighborhood just without the knife, of course, because that'd be too far. <laughs> I don't want to get, I, you know, I don't want to bother the police. I don't want to bother the neighborhood. So no knife, <laughs> you know, Halloween responsibly. <laughs> yeah. So where was I anyway? Well, there are some films that don't need sequels in my opinion, like the Princess Bride would be just fine without a sequel. The Goonies, even, could be fine without a sequel. I mean, it may be nice to see them all grown up, but still. There are some cases where unlikely sequels can actually work. Like, in my opinion, Trainspotting 2 is one that actually takes a chance being risky, being fresh. And I know some people may disagree with me. I mean, it's... Like, it's almost as good as the first one, but not quite, you know? That's my opinion anyway. But, yeah. Yes, uh, while I'm doing this podcast, I am patting my cat, uh, Zuzu. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah, look at you. Oh, she loves me. Yeah, I hope there are people who like cats. You may occasionally hear a meow on here. <laughs> and I told her, meow into the mic anytime you want. <laughs> Maybe if she gets her own movie, she can get a sequel. I mean, we know how Hollywood loves cute animals. Okay, back on track. Um, No, she just tried to get my iPhone cord. <laughs> I'm going to need that if I need to charge during, during recording, Kat. Um, okay, so yeah, 
people are talking about Joker getting a sequel. Don't worry, I will not spoil it here, okay? But I think that, personally, Joker works better as a standalone. People who have seen the movie will know why. And I have a spoiler-filled discussion with uh, part of the Core 6 of the Collective, Chris, in episode 5. But do not listen to that episode if you do not want Joker spoiled for you. Joker is definitely worth watching, you know? I mean, you know, someone actually someone actually blocked me once for the stupid reason that I that I recommended Joker. Nothing else. I did no harm to this person. I just recommended Joker. And you know, there was a bit of a controversy that I said in that episode where, you know, people were afraid violence would spawn from this film even though it's clearly a descent into darkness, you know? It's clearly not going to I just, the whole violence and movies and people discussion, I reckon the person's already got to be insane to actually go out and commit violence. If you've raised your child right, they can see violent movies and not do a damn thing. It just frustrates me to no end that people just blame movies. I mean, come on. But yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, what else then? Well, sequels can go in a bad way. Like, I reckon that Men in Black 2 is not as good as the first one. Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen is definitely not as good as the first one. And then there are the really cheap sequels. Um, (laughs) I'll just get Grease 2 out of the way and mention, you know, every single direct-to-video Barbie movie that was ever made, which are not technically sequels to each other, but they're like separate stories most of the time. Oh, how many of those I had to watch when I was younger. Yes. <laughs> ay, 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 man, oh, man. I mean, fucking Barbie. You can imagine the torture that was. You can imagine 20 sequels or so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what else then? Um, Yeah, so I think that I'm going to mention something else now in terms of sequels. Something that I could easily understand. Franchises with loose continuity. Like Evil Dead. Now, I never saw the very first Evil Dead as of this recording. But, however, I think that there are you can watch Evil Dead 2 just fine and understand it. And then, and then yeah, sure, it leads an army of darkness technically. But... You know, you can watch Army of Darkness without seeing Evil Dead 2 if you really want, because they recap the previous film in, in the new movie anyway. And yeah, when I saw Evil Dead 2, I honestly just, I loved it. I just loved it. All the stop motion, all the Bruce Campbell. <laughs> oh man, such fun. And, you know, it's kind of dumb fun, but it's, you know, dumb fun's not bad. One of my favourite comedies is Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Yes, you'll find Dumb and Dumber in, like, my favourite comedies. And, you know, you'll find high art, like The Wizard of Oz, in my favourite movies, you know. But every movie is art, you know. And this point bears repeating, even though the... The marketplace may seem saturated with sequels, okay? Cinema is not dead. It's just evolving. Now, I mentioned this several episodes ago, but it's not dead, it's evolving, okay? 
I mean, people were saying cinema's dead just because a lot of bad movies have come out one year. Well, no, cinema's just going through an evolution. You think that sound film would be impossible after silent film? You think colour would be impossible after black and white? You think how colour TVs, you know? It's just, movies are going through an evolution right now. And yeah, I'm going to bring in a second subject to this episode, and that is Netflix. Now, I reckon that Netflix is actually pretty good for exposing movies to wider audiences, people who can't afford to go to the cinema sometimes, and they uh, they then decide to watch a movie at home. I mean, people probably could not sit in cinema seats for three and a half hours without getting uncomfortable for The Irishman, so it's easier to watch that on Netflix. Now, I'm, I'm not knocking the cinema experience, okay? But I really think that... It's just, this. I think Netflix is convenient. I think streaming's convenient. And I want a world where streaming and uh, and cinema can be next to each other, you know? And I, I wish that cinemas would just cooperate with Netflix. They're a member of the MPA. The MPA, to describe briefly, is the Motion, Pic- Motion Picture Association. Formerly known as the MPAA, standing for the Motion Picture Association of America. This explanation being for the benefit of anyone outside America. American listeners will already know this. But, you know. So anyway, the the MPA, uh, they, uh, yeah. They have the arbitrary ratings and they also have the... The uh, six major studios, which 20th 20th Century Fox used to hold a position in the six major studios. But then there was uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Disney, Sony, and Universal. Now that Disney's bought Fox, that took it down to five. And then Netflix, of all people, joined the the core six. Much like, well, you know, the MPA is a closed off sort of thing. So those six members aren't are just the six. They're not the core six like we are. We allow everybody who supports us, whether through word of mouth or listening or whatever, to be part of the collective. So yeah, think of that particular core six group as just a powerful, a powerful member, like powerful members that get their way more often, which is not what we do. Now, they get films rated uh, at a teen rating that would be at a restricted rating for an indie, you know? And, they're, yeah, their rating system's totally arbitrary. But we're not here to discuss their rating system mainly. We're here to, dis- to discuss their relationship with Netflix. You know, that is a sign that cinema and streaming can indeed coexist. And I really reckon that the pessimists have got it wrong, you know? The fact that Netflix gets booed at France film festivals when it appears is just travesty. I mean, people just not accepting the future. And I say that as someone who loves the past of the movies and shooting on film and stuff. And sadly, I don't know how to shoot on film because I haven't taught myself as of this recording. And I may teach myself in the future, possibly. But, you know, the fact that the fact that we can film digital and uh, have it streaming somewhere online is not a luxury people could afford. That extends to, uh, you know, 
what if movies didn't really need the cinema? Like, what if some movies didn't need the cinema? Like, to all the boys I've loved before. Sure, that's nice to see in a cinema, but that can be direct to Netflix if you want. That's the type of thing you're going to scroll through and see, oh, what's what's this doing in my preferences? And you're going to click it, and you're going to like it. And, you know, you're, you're only paying one price for all these movies, you know? And you'd rather that than... You you go to a cinema, pay full price for one movie, don't like it, and want your money back. At least with Netflix, you're paid one price a month. If you don't like a movie, you pick another movie. You're not paying for each individual movie, you know? Yeah, but then I get it. Cinema's a dark room full of strangers that has tasty popcorn all buttered up. Um, unless you're vegan, though, they butter, I think, has milk, yeah. I'm not vegan personally, I'm not even vegetarian, but I can understand, because I know people who are, um, yeah, (sighs) but, yeah, that was my point I was going to make anyway, cinema can, can expose people to movies just as much as streaming can, streaming can expose more people, that is my point, and I'm going to move on now, okay, also, on, uh, on Netflix, it's more likely that people may leave the credits scrolling on titles, you know, if they choose to watch them, that is. And indeed, they'll see the any post credit scenes that are on a title, if there are any, you know? But yeah. Now, going back to sequels, this one thing I've got to mention, it's just I hate when you have the perfect ending for a franchise and you just have to go and ruin it, you know? I mean, Toy Story 4, for example, that is a solid film on its own, but it's not as good as the first three are, if I'm being completely honest, you know? Um, no spoilers, don't worry, no spoilers. Um, but I reckon that Toy Story 3 was the definitive ending for this story, you know? I mean, you know, I, I know that... Uh, I know that uh, p- people say Toy Story 4 is... Uh, is a closure for a certain character arc, like uh, Woody's character arc, you know, but I want to say that is not a spoiler because he's one of the main characters of all four movies and what are you going to have without that? But, yeah. <sighs> well, you know, as for uh, as for prequels, yes, there's the inevitability that things have to happen, you know, but you can still make them fresh and exciting for people who have never come in to see these movies before, you know? Like, I'm pretty sure that uh, the Planet of the Apes trilogy recently was actually a lead-in for the original movie, for example. Yeah, but... Ah, yes. (laughs) I'm going to briefly touch on the remakes and why they're also unnecessary. I reckon that remakes most of the time are unnecessary unless you can actually improve on a movie. And many people fail. The Thing and The Fly, those are two examples that seem to be good remakes, good movies on their own, you know? People seem to like them a lot, you know? But, yeah. (sighs) Remakes are just the death of originality in Hollywood. A lot of them. I mean, you know, they're already pumping out lots of Star Wars sequels and all that. 
I bet Hollywood in the near future is probably just going to say, ah, screw it, we're going to remake Star Wars. <laughs> Even though it was really popular, we want to milk more money, you know, more money out of your pockets. We want to get all the money. <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, as, as much as it's interesting that Disney owns all these things, you know, Fox, Marvel, Lucasfilm, I can just hear Mickey rubbing his hands and saying, as he, you know, has all these properties in his hands and, you know, doesn't know what to do with them sometimes, you know. I'm one of the defenders of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and I don't like the prequel trilogy, but I think the sequels are doing better. They're not as good as the originals, but, you know. Yeah, as much as I like Disney's product, I reckon that they're getting a bit too greedy and too controlling of their intellectual property. I mean, you know, some repertory theatre, I've discussed that in a previous episode, and, like, I'm pretty sure one man in America wanted to play The Fly from 1986 and The Omen from the 70s, and uh, he basically couldn't, because Disney wants to quietly take away the 20th Century Fox Library from repertory theatres. They just don't want him played there, because the more screens you can have a new product the better, in their opinion. I mean, why wouldn't you want more money off of your old product, you know? They're already doing that for Star Wars, they're already doing that for Marvel, you know, that sort of thing. And they're already doing that off Disney+. Plus. All of their catalogue titles on Disney+, Plus are literally there to serve as a reward for money. So some of the money must be going to there. You know? I mean, yeah... Not to mention, I mean, Disney doesn't want you to know this too much, but they own plenty of popular things. Uh, Alien, Fight Club, uh, Independence Day. They can make plenty of money on repertory screenings. And repertory meaning second run, that is. But the one film they're not touching, and thank God for that, is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now that's staying in theatres entirely. And has stayed in theatres for approximately... 1975, 2015, 2019. Well, next year it's going to be in cinemas for 45 years. I record this in 2019, so 44 years. That actually had a sequel of its own that just wasn't very successful called Shock Treatment, which that, that movie just doesn't live up to the original. It's a different cast. I know there's Jessica Harper in it, but even she can't save it, you know? And I like her in Suspiria and Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> But yeah, I reckon that's uh, that's basically all I've got time for tonight. I've got to publish this on time and online, okay? Let's get this motherfucker online, alright? So yeah, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I'm really, really glad you came along again. Now, I think that i got to say again, cinema's not dead. It is just evolving. It is just evolving. And I will not let myself here otherwise, you know? <sighs> well, thanks for hearing my uh, crazed lunatic ramblings. <laughs> You're always welcome to the Film Geek Collective, and don't you forget it. Now for the shout-outs. All right. Shoutouts to Elsie Cool, Real Sharks, aka Ribu Shaku, Tessie Cat, also to Ashy Slashy, and Mary Amber! Alright, and now, 
<laughs> those are all the shout outs for this episode and I thank you all so 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 much you rock so hard you rock as hard as Queen you rock as hard as Bohemian Rhapsody and you know I don't want to steal anyone's slogan so I'm trying to make my original one just bear with me alright now I'm not sure what I'll have next time but it's gonna be some shit that's good alright stay tuned and you're always welcome to Film Geek Collective don't you forget it By the way, this episode was entirely improvised, and I did not script this one at all. I just thought I'd try an improvised little little thing that uh, I hope you like, but usually I half improvise, half script. Now, on to the uh, anchor promotion that's always on the end of my videos, even though money only exists in the US. (laughs) Crap.